Welcome to the teaching ministry of Rev. Daryl Baker, pastor of Christian Faith Fellowship. Pastor Baker is fulfilling the call of God on his life to preach the Word of God without compromise. Raising up disciples who through faith in God will have a powerful impact on our world. May you be blessed through the message that Pastor Baker has to share with you today. May God's very best be yours. Turn with me, please, to 1 Kings chapter 17, talking tonight about killing the Goliath of discouragement. Killing the Goliath of discouragement. You're going to see that in the context of the Bible, what little time we'll have in this study tonight, even some of the, of the, one of the greatest prophets of the Old Testament, as we're about to read about, Elijah, Jesus himself, faced discouragement. The disciples faced discouragement. But the Bible tells us what we can do about it. You know, it's kind of like we talked about, you know, when we addressed the issue uh, back during COVID about fear. You know, when people, you know, say, well, uh, I don't ever get afraid. Well, hopefully you never do. But that doesn't mean you don't ever face it. Fear comes to everybody. Fear challenges everybody. You're on the planet. But thank God we don't have to fall for it. Nor do we have to fall for discouragement. As believers, we understand discouragement may come. But thank God we don't have to partake in it. We can overcome it in Jesus' name. So in 1 Kings chapter 17, Elijah, in obedience to God here, is literally prophesying in that day that he was living about an actual famine of, the, of actual rain that would come in the land. Famine of the rain means famine of food. No rain, no crops, no harvest. It's going to affect, obviously, their livelihood as well as the ability to be able to provide and take care of themselves and their families. And so we then see clearly that Elijah, out of this, gets pretty discouraged. Watch this. 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1. And Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. Now, truthfully, it was God's word. God told him to decree this. God said he was going to have this happen to deal with Ahab and uh, obviously the children of Israel in those days. So he's decreeing the word of the Lord that God had given him. Verse 2, the word of the Lord came to him saying, get away from here, talking to Elijah now directly, and turn eastward. Why? There's coming a lack of rain. There therefore is going to be a famine in the land, but guess what God's going to do? He's going to prepare for him, already has, a way to take care of him. Get away from here, turn eastward, hide by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. And it will be that you shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you, underline this, there. Circle, highlight, or underline the word there. Read it again. And it will be, verse 4, that you shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there, where he wanted him to go. Verse 5. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord, for he went and stayed by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. Now the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. And it happened after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Because of that lack of rain, eventually that brook even dried up. God then moves him on to where he needs him to go. Once you notice on your notes, number one, question is your brook drying up? There's times in our life it might seem like, 
You know, that things aren't obviously going the way they should. Maybe we're not seeing in relationship to our life finances coming in the way they had been or, or a business or a situation with whatever we're going through. But it doesn't mean when a brook dries up, you're out of the will of God. This brook dried up, but guess what? Elijah was still on the will of God. He was right where God told him to be. Understand, just because your brook may dry up a little bit doesn't mean that God isn't obviously still there to care for you or that you have done anything wrong. Elijah had done nothing wrong. He actually did exactly what God told him to do and prophesied that this would come. 1A, your brook can dry up even if you are in the will of God. But in the midst of it, 1B, God supplies even when you're not in the best of conditions. Say it, God supplies even when I'm not in the best of conditions. So even though things might not be the way they were at one time for a short period of time or a time in your life, it doesn't mean God doesn't supply. God provided literally for Isaac a hundredfold return in a time of famine when he sowed. He sowed, the Bible says, in a time of famine and still reaped a hundredfold. So all that to say this, you know, brook drying up in relationship to what's going on around us, like what's happening in our country today, or like what's happening in our world today, in the context of what's going on with the financial world and the financial realm and all that stuff, it don't mean God still doesn't provide in the midst of all of it. Sure he does. If you obey God, do what God tells you to do, walk with God, it don't matter what happens in the natural. In this case, in the natural, the rain stopped. Doesn't matter. God still had provision for Elijah. All he had to do was obey God and go where he told him to go. Do what he told him to do. In the midst of our government today, what's going on? In the midst of our world today, what's going on? You don't need to worry about the world's economy. You don't live under that. You do if you don't walk in relationship to God as it relates to faith in his word and how he says you can walk free from that. But if you're a child of God who honors God with your giving, don't let your mindset go to the world and think now because everything's really bad in the world financially, things are going to get bad for me. God provides even in the midst of situations in the natural going haywire. Because guess what? God is a God who is an unending source and supply. 1C, any better amens on that? 1C, you must be in the place called there. Elijah was told to go eastward, not westward. Now, this doesn't mean God's going to uproot you and take you away from your church or where you're supposed to be in relationship to your pastor. Matter of fact, I've shared stories with you before where people have actually, in the context of stories I've heard from Brother Hagin, uprooted to go after a job and then actually miss God and wind up worse off. Some chose not to go and wound up better in the context of staying there than what they would have been had they moved somewhere else to another job. The there doesn't mean follow your job. It means you obey God. You do what God tells you to do. Now, as it relates to your job, are you in the job God wants you in? You need to know I'm there. I'm working where I'm supposed to be, right? As far as a business, I need to know it is the business God wants me to do. If you are, then you're right there where you need to be. And guess what, guess what God will do? He'll provide for you. I said, he'll provide for you. I think of Don, when COVID hit, there was in context of the work that he does, there was a lot of people that did not hear from God to be there where they needed to be with their materials. And guess what? A lot of businesses wound up in that context of that business. Am I correct? They ran out of material. But literally, God speaks to him to begin to stock up, to actually buy up extra materials. Guess what he was doing? He was obeying God to be there where God told him to be. And guess what he didn't? He didn't lack. 
He didn't lack. He didn't run out of materials like a lot of people did. And he was able to continue to prosper. Now, what if he wouldn't have been there where God told him to be, to hear from God, to do what God told him to do? Then he could have wound up in a worse off situation like a lot of other people. So you got to be there, meaning you got to know you've heard from God and you're doing what God told you to do. And therefore, in this case, he told him to go eastward, not westward. Now, what would have happened had he gone westward? Guess where the ravens would have been? Right by, the, right by the brook Cherith where he told them to go. God's, God's not going to redirect the, the, the ravens for you. He, you got to be where God told you to go. <clears throat> so notice this. 1D, the ravens, the supply God had for them, were also commanded to go what? Eastward. And therefore, and guess what? Ravens are going to obey God. Animals are going to obey God. When God told literally that well to spit, you know, Jonah up, that well's going to spit Jonah up. When God told those fish to get over on the other side of the boat where Peter was, they got on the other side of the boat and he caught those fish, right? Amen. When God told that one fish to bring that tax money, come on somebody, come go to this hook over in this part of the, of the, of the actual lake there and you get on that hook because guess what? Peter's going to be there and you're going to have some money that you've gathered up from that was out there in the water to bring forth and you're going to be able to provide for us the money we need. I'm telling you, animals obey God better than most humans do. So when God tells you to do something, you need to know to obey. Amen. One E, guess what? We, now, how about the word God gave you tonight? What if you're not there? What if you're not there? What if you're not there in the house of God hearing the word God preached? Then quit blaming God and quit getting upset at circumstances and being weak spiritually and how your life is horrible and miserable and I got this and why does this always happen? That always happen. If you'd have been there... Tell your neighbor, he's already preaching better than you, amen. If you'd have been there, what do you think this was tonight? I know people are. I know they're going to. Their brain's going to tell them. He's going to say that because he's a pastor. People in our church will say that. But I'm going to tell you, that's God speaking to us. And if you choose to honor God and be there where God tells you, you're not going to lack. I said, you're not going to lack. So thank God, just like Elijah, if we just do what God says... And honor him and are where we're supposed to be, when we're supposed to be there. I'm telling you, I think of a situation recently. Uh, it was pretty cool testimony. And I don't remember all the exact details about this testimony. But uh, Rip was telling me a testimony about a deal where God had him to go buy a, a truck. He, did, he said at first it didn't seem like it was going to work out. But he just knew something told him, no, I got to be there. He winds up going and getting the truck. Actually worked out the deal and everything. As he goes to work out the deal, he goes downtown to get something. And this guy finds out he just bought this truck. And he turns around and he buys it from him for a profit. What if he wouldn't have been there? He wouldn't have made that profit. He actually wasn't going to do it. He was going to go off and do something else. But something wouldn't let him. And so he wound up there where God wanted him to be. And God already had a guy waiting for him. He already had a fish waiting for, with some money. Come on. Instant profit. He didn't own the thing 24 hours. And he already made a profit off of it. Tell me God can't still do that today. So turn over to 1 Kings 19. We'll go a little further though in the Elijah story. And even though he was doing well there, he kind of all of a sudden begins to drift away from being obedient to honor God and to be where God wants him to be over here in First uh, Kings 19. He allows the circumstances here for whatever reason now to overwhelm him, to kind of overtake him. Number two on your notes, discouragement can set in. It can set in. And sadly, he allowed that to happen here through the circumstances. First Kings 19.1, <clears throat> and Ahab who he had prophesied about the famine to before. 
Ahab told Jezebel, one of his wives, all that Elijah had done, also how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them, the, prophet, the false prophets that he had uh, obviously had uh, killed, by tomorrow about this time. Verse 3, when he saw, notice, when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life. That amazing. He faced the previous challenge, no problem, and obeyed God. And all of a sudden, now Jezebel says she's going to take his life because he's killed all these prophets. And immediately he allows that word from Jezebel to cause fear in his heart. And he arises and he runs away for fear of his life. Verse 3, when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life, and he went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and he left his servants there. Now think about this. What is causing Elijah to now do what he is doing? Fear is. Well, let me help you. When you make decisions out of fear, it ain't God leading you. It's never God leading you. You're allowing opportunity for discouragement to come and Satan to take advantage of your life. Excuse me, verse 4. Notice, but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and he came and he sat down under a broom tree and he prayed that he might die. And he said, it is enough now, Lord, take my life for I am no better than my father's. I mean, now he's crying out to God for him to take his life. He's so discouraged, he literally wants to die. God didn't call him there. God didn't tell him to go sit under this broom tree. God didn't tell him to run from Jezebel. But he's allowing discouragement to set in. He's not done what we're going to learn here in just a little bit of what you need to know to do when discouragement comes. He did not do the right things when discouragement came. He allowed what he saw and what happened and what was said to affect what he did more than what God had spoken to him. Verse 6, he notices, he then looked and there by his head was a cake baked on coals, a jar of water, so he... Oh, I'm sorry, verse 5. He Notice verse 5. He lay and slept under the broom tree. Suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. Now this kind of sounds like God coming to his rescue. But if you know this story, God's got to move him onward. He knows he's not going to obey him initially. He's got to move him onward at this point now to anoint his successor. Now you can say what you want about this story. Pastor Barclay says, I don't believe God meant to take Elijah out of the picture at this point. But Elijah is so distraught and now not hearing from God and not walking with God, he now has to replace him. He now has to anoint Elisha in his place to obviously take his place as the prophet of the day. So he's got to get him to where that's going to happen. So this angel of the Lord touched him and said, Arise and eat. Verse 6, he looked and there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and he lay down again. Now guess what? Elijah should have been feeding himself. I said Elijah should have been feeding him. He should have been taking care of himself. He should have been doing what God told him to do. Verse 7, the angel of the Lord came back a second time, touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate, and he drank, and he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights, as far as Oreb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave. Now, it doesn't say God told him to go in the cave. God's trying to actually get him where he needs him to go to anoint uh, several people in relationship to leadership, and as well as, Elijah, uh, as, well as Elisha. Verse 9, he went into a cave and he spent the night in that place. Notice, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? So guess who had not called him into the cave? 
Guess what is one of the things you don't ever want to do when discouragement tries to set in? You don't ever want to try to isolate yourself. You don't ever want to pull back from church. You don't ever want to pull back from other believers and isolate yourself in some cave away from everybody else. All you're doing is giving Satan more opportunity to take advantage of your life. You listening? Satan will do everything he can to isolate you in discouragement. To get you to pull away from the church. Well, you don't want to go down there. They don't love you. They don't care about you. If they did, they'd have called you. Well, let me help you. Just the fact that maybe you didn't get a phone call doesn't mean we don't love you. Don't want to care about you. We wouldn't help you. Not true. I said not true. You know, you got to realize again, uh, everybody kind of is dealing with warfare in the days you live in. And you got to know how to encourage yourself in the Lord as well. Verse 10. So he said, notice what he responds with his answer to the Lord. He said in verse 10, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, tore down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. None of that's true. He's not the only one left. He said, I'm the last prophet. There's none left. This is what, again, discouragement will do to you. It'll deceive you and make you feel like you're the only one left. You're the only one truly that really wants to stand up for God and bless God. It's too hard and da, da, da. And that was not true. That was not the case. Notice verse 11. He said, go out, stand on the mountain before the Lord, and behold, the Lord passed by. And a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small, small voice. Now listen, what verse 12 tells you, and you should underline that, is God can show himself in mighty ways. But for you to be able to hear from God and know where there is, you better learn to deal with discouragement and stay in a place where you can hear the voice of God. He has now pulled away in discouragement and has gotten away from hearing the voice of God. Verse 13, so it was when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and he went out and he stood in the entrance of the cave and suddenly a voice came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah, again? And he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, tore down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left and they seek to take my life. Again, not true. <clears throat> he's just given his same patent answer <clears throat> because he's allowed discouragement to overtake him. So here we have the prophet now. <clears throat> I won't read the rest. In a state of discouragement. Why? Because he's not listening to the voice of the Lord. When, when immediately when discouragement tried to come to him and take hold of him in this threat from Jezebel, what should he have done? Not run. He should have drawn near to God. He should have gotten close to, in the presence of God like he knew how to do and find out from God, what do I need to do? Instead, he allows what he hears in the natural to so affect him and discourage him that instead of drawing near to God, guess what he does? He really runs. He runs from God, and he runs from his calling God because he wasn't obviously supposed to run He was away from all that. He was supposed to find out from God what did God need him to do. On your notes, number two, discouragement can set in to A, verse three. The prophet is now what in this case? Running for his life. This great prophet of God, not faulting him. A lot of people have. A lot of people have been there. But he's running for his life. To B, verse four, he is now so discouraged, he's praying to do what? <clears throat> Boy, you're at that point, you know you're going the wrong direction. 
You need, you, you need to run back towards God. You need to get back to God's house and back to God. 2C, verses 9 through 12, discouragement and fear drive the man of God into a cave where he now does what? He loses track of God's voice. I guarantee you, you get to the point where you're allowing God to pull you away so far that you're not even fellowshipping with him, let alone going to church. You got to get back going the opposite, uh, going back to the other direction. You got to realize pulling away is only going to get you in a position to obviously not even hear God's voice. Uh, uh, you're going to hear God's voice less and that's going to hurt your life. 2D, verse 14, ministerial loneliness then does what? Sets in. Sets in. So now God has to replace him. God directs him to go and anoint several of the people he needs in leadership anointed and to anoint Elisha to prepare to replace him. So let's find out some things that even happened to Jesus. John chapter 6. Let's go in a context to see of a part of Jesus' life and something that happened in his life. John chapter 6. Now, as it relates to Jesus... On your notes there, number three, even Jesus had to deal with this spirit, the spirit of discouragement, tried to get on him. It never did. Obviously, he knew what to do, but it tried just like it will with anybody else. It did in his life as well. In John chapter 6, this is a powerful set of verses here. This is where Jesus begins to talk about from a spiritual perspective, eating his body, drinking his blood. Remember that? He brings up that you must eat my body, drink my blood. But he even said, I'm speaking spiritually. And of course, you know, a bunch of his disciples say many. Many of his disciples hearing this, of course, man, they now say, oh man, this guy's gone off the deep end. We're, we need to go somewhere else. Notice John chapter 6, verse 59. These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. 60. Therefore, what? Many of his disciples... When they heard this, said, this is a hard saying. Who can understand it? 61, Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this. What did they do? They complained. They grumbled. They moaned and mumbled about this. Well, let me help you. <clears throat> One of the things you got to learn as it relates to things that are taught you in the Word of God, if you have confusion about something, you not going to your pastor to get clarification and moaning and grumbling, and well, I don't know if I agree with that. Blah, 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 blah. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, all that's going to do is open the door for Satan to take advantage of your life. You need to go talk to your shepherd about that. You know, one of the things the Lord was saying to me this morning was, he said, you know, he said, sadly, <clears throat> you can tell when somebody has come to the place in their life as a believer where now all of a sudden they've taken back their lordship. I said, what are, you, what are you saying to me, Jesus? He said, when at first you get born again, how do you get born again? How do you get born again? You got to make him your Lord. If you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, you've never been born again. Jesus said, you got to call upon the name of the Lord. So you got to surrender to his lordship in your life to be born again. Right? When you first did, man, I guarantee if you truly did it right, you wanted nothing but to learn more about God. Right? You, like me, I wanted to find a Bible. I wanted to find a church. I wanted to get to know God. But he said a lot of believers, sadly, when they initially do that, man, the Word becomes alive to them. The basics of the Word, they just take hold of it. They start seeing it work in their life. They get excited about it. But he said, but many take back their Lordship. Down the road, they want to go back to living life the way they want to. They want to go back to doing things they want to do. All of a sudden, now they're bored with church life because they've allowed things in the world to attract them and pull them back. Just like in the days of Paul, where literally Silas had now, uh, uh, excuse me, uh, uh, Bar not Barnabas. Um, oh my gosh, what's his name? 
I lost it right there. Paul literally said, uh, Demas has forsaken me having loved this present world. Guess what Demas did? He took his lordship back. He took his lordship back. He fell back in love with the world, so he became the lord of his life now, choosing to do what he wanted to do. And the Lord said, you need to warn people. When they take their lordship back, here's what it sounds like. What it sounds like is they now have to justify their life that goes contrary to the word. If they don't go to church or they don't do this or they don't do what the scriptures things, they learn the basic stuff, right? But now all of a sudden they're not going to do that anymore. So you know what they want to do? They want to draw other people in with them because they have to now try to justify what they're doing is okay. And what they'll say was, well, yeah, I once believed that, but I don't see that the way pastor does anymore. It don't matter how I see it. It matters what God says. And so what people do is they begin to now try to actually make the scriptures fit their lifestyle. When they do that, they've taken their lordship back. You don't ever want to do that. I said, you don't ever want to do that. If Jesus is Lord over your life, Satan's in trouble. Amen. Satan ain't got a chance, ladies and gentlemen. He ain't got, he's got a chance. If you, gain, if you take your lordship back, he's got, a, he's got a chance. He's got a shot at you. So in verse 60, many of his disciples, when they heard this, couldn't understand it. Verse 61, Jesus knew that they were complaining about it, moaning and groaning about this. So he said to them, does this offend you? So now you're offended by what I said. See, again, you take back your lordship. So for a while, although they weren't born again, don't fault them too bad. He was the Lord of their life. They received his teachings. But now he says this to them and they're like, whoa, wait a minute, man. Oh, this offends you? This is offensive to you? It's amazing how many people all of a sudden start getting offended by the word that they never were offended by before. And again, they just simply want to try to twist it now and make it fit their life. 62, what then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? And they were going to. Verse 63, it is, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. Now I want you to know something. Underline that. You need to make a note of that. What is it that actually gives you true life? The Spirit does. Okay, so I'd love to go off and preach on this for about 30, 40 minutes right here, but I can't. But you should go, you should go make yourself a note right here of this verse. And going into the new year, you should make a list. What are the things of the Spirit and what are the things of the flesh? Because the things of the Spirit are going to give me life. The things of the flesh will not. So what am I going to actually sow into my life? The things of the flesh or the things of the Spirit? Because it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh does what? Profits nothing. Nothing. The words that I speak to you, they are what? What are they? What are the words I speak to you? Spirit and life. So what I was just, what, what I was just referring to earlier about the word God gave us, about sitting under the teaching of the word, where do you think the actual context of the things of the Spirit and Zoe life come from? The word of God. The word of God. The words I speak to you are spirit and life. 64. There are some of you here though who don't believe. Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe. And who would betray him. Who would what? Betray. Who would what? <clears throat> now a betrayal, I'll guarantee you right now, a betrayal isn't fun to go through. You can get really discouraged when people betray you. So this demon of discouragement is going to try to get Jesus discouraged by all these people that are going to betray him. Because he's about to be betrayed. 65, he said, therefore, I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it's been granted to him by my father. Look at verse 66. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. You know what that means? Betrayed him. 
They betrayed him. They walked away. Now, I'm going to tell you what. Even as a pastor, I used to have to fight this off. Because people would leave. People would leave for the wrong reasons. People that obviously knew they were supposed to be here would turn around and go and go off somewhere else. And I'm going to tell you what. If you're not careful as a minister, that can discourage you. As an individual, what about people that were once your friends and they betrayed you? If you're not careful, that can discourage you. Satan wants it to. Everybody in this life at some point or another is going to go through different types of betrayals. But all you got to recognize is I can't control what they do. What I can control is not get discouraged by the betrayal. Jesus didn't, even though he was betrayed. I'll guarantee at this point, he had a good group of disciples, a very sizable group of people that were his disciples who walked away and left him no more. How do we know? 67. Jesus said to the 12, who's left? Now, out of those 12, who are, who's serious out of those 12? 11. Only 11. Judas is one of them that's still going to betray him in the garden. Right. Jesus said to the 12, do you also want to go away? So what Jesus says is, I'm not going to make anybody follow me. Right. I'm not going to make anybody walk with me. As a pastor, I've repented to God for ever trying to make anybody not leave this church. I'm not responsible whether they leave or not. I'm not responsible. You're not responsible if people betray you or not. What you're responsible for is how you respond if it happens. That's what you're responsible for. And the devil wants to get you discouraged through the betrayal. But you got to understand like Jesus, notice what he said. He turns to the 12. Again, he said, uh, so are you going with them? Are you going to go with them? You, don't, you also want to go away? 68, Simon Peter answered. Don't you glad Peter always speaking up. Simon Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thank God he was smart enough. Yes. Notice, you have the words of eternal life. Amen. Also, we've come to believe and know you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered the son, said to them, Did I not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? One of you is being used by Satan to even try to discourage me. 21. Uh, excuse me, 71, sorry. He spoke of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for it was he who would betray him, being one of the twelve. So even Jesus faced discouragement. He just didn't give in to it. Notice 3a, many of his disciples did what? They went back and they followed him no more. They followed him no more. Really, who did Jesus then wind up with for a good period of the rest of the time of his life? Just 11. Just 11 for the remainder of a short period of his life. Thank God 120 got serious about actually following him after his death, burial, and resurrection because the 120 out of everybody he appeared to after being raised from the dead went and waited in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father. 3B, remember his loneliness in Gethsemane? What about in Gethsemane? He couldn't even get three of his guys to stay awake and pray with him. Are you still here tonight? So understand, there are going to be times you can't get anybody to stand with you. You don't need people to stand with you. You know why? God will stand with you. Come on, somebody. God will stand with you. Let's find out more about this. Go to Joshua 1. Let's go see what God told Joshua about this in Joshua 1 because Joshua is about to face now what Moses had been dealing with with years, for years and years with these uh, with the children of Israel. He's about to now take them over into the promised land and he's still going to face a lot of challenges with these people doing so. God knows that. So Joshua speaks, uh, excuse me, God speaks to Joshua before going into the promised land about some things to encourage him so he doesn't get discouraged when they face these challenges. So what are some things, Pastor, we can do when we face discouragement to not give in? Let's find out. Joshua chapter 1 verse 3. 
Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, as I said to Moses. Now, how can we apply that to us today? As a child of God, gave, God gave you authority. So everywhere you go now as a child of God, you carry the authority he gave to Jesus Christ. Everywhere you go. Doesn't matter where you are in this life. The moment you're born again, you were given the authority that Jesus was given. Whether you know it or not is another thing. But obviously it's already yours. So in relationship to me and you, New Testament, we can apply every place that the sole of my foot treads upon. God is with me. I have authority there because I have his authority with me. Amen. Verse 4. From the wilderness and this Lebanon. As far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, to the great sea toward the going down of the sun, it shall be your territory. Five, no man, listen to this, underline it, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Say it, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. So Moses was a type and shadow of Jesus to draw us out of the world. Moses drew them out of Egypt. Jesus drew us out of the world. So here's how we can apply that today. Context, Old Testament, written for admonition. New Testament, here's how we apply it. No man can stand before us all the days of our life because, notice this, as God was with Jesus, so he will be with us. I'm talking about us. I'm applying it to us. Jesus is our Moses. Jesus drew us out of the world. Apply it to the New Testament. Apply it to the New Testament, believer. God says to us, New Testament, no man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Because just as he was with his son Jesus when he was here, he will be with you. Underline it. I will not leave you nor forsake you. So everywhere you go, so you understand the distinction between the two. But that's why we have the Old Testament as a way as of type and shadow of the new. Moses was a type and shadow of Jesus. He drew the people out of this world system of Egypt and brought them over into a promise of God to have a new life. Jesus drew you out of the world and brought you into the promise of a new life. And all the time Jesus was here, who was with him? Who was with him? God saying, just as I was with my son Jesus when he was here, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. These are the kind of verses that those who aren't in church tonight or streaming or don't go with this message will not know. And therefore, when discouragement comes, they'll lack ammunition to stand up and say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I'm not alone. I'm not alone. My God was with Jesus. He walked with him everywhere he went. And therefore, he has also promised now in his word to be with me. No man will be able to stand before me all the days of my life. Because as God was with Jesus, he is with me. He will not leave me nor forsake me. See, this is what I mean by the admonition of what God said. That if you're not getting the word of God in your heart preached... You know how many people will face situations they need that word tonight? They will not go back and hear this message. And they will not have that to bring to their remembrance by the Holy Spirit. And they will face an opposition one day of which they won't have an answer for. You don't think this isn't critical? Verse, notice this, verse 5. Be strong and of good courage, 
For to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Seven, only be strong and very courageous. Says them a second time. Well, guess what? You're to be strong and courageous, but you're not to be strong in yourself. Come on. We're strong in the Lord and the power of His might. So how could you not take courage in the strength God's given you? Be strong and courageous that you may observe to do according to all which Moses, my servant, all the law, which Moses, my servant, commanded, what they were commanded to do. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. You can apply that today. All that God's taught us in the New Testament were to live by. If we do it, guess what? Wherever we go, we're going to be successful. Prosper means to succeed. You're not going to fail. You're not going to fail. Verse 8, the book, this book of the law, for you and me, that's the, the context of the teachings of the New Testament, shall not what? Depart from your mouth. What are you supposed to keep on your lips? Come on, what are you supposed to keep? So here's another word, sadly, for those that won't hear it and won't get it, but you will. When discouragement tries to come to you, what should you do? I should remember, first and foremost, as my God was with Jesus, my God is with me. Come on, you're going to be glad you were here tonight because it's going to happen down the road. And you're going to wake up and say, wait a minute, I remember hearing this in church. Holy Spirit's going to bring it back. He can't bring to your remembrance what you haven't heard. But you're going to stand up and say, no, wait a minute, discouragement. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you why you can't come in this home. Let me tell you why you can't overtake my life. Let me tell you why. Because just like my God was with Jesus, he will be with me. Therefore, wherever my foot trods, I walk in his authority. And not only do I walk in his authority as a child of God, I am therefore strong in the Lord. And therefore, I will not lose my courage in God. Now, you back down, demon. You back down, Satan, in Jesus' name. Amen? And therefore, as I honor my God with his word, I will succeed wherever I go. Failure is not an option. Failure is not an option. Failure is not an option for the believer who simply lives by the truth, honors God's word, and walks in the light of what they know they have. Failure is not an option. Success is a guarantee. But, verse 8, you then then must take these words of God and what? Put them on your mouth. See, you got to declare that. I said you got to declare that. I said you got to declare that. When discouragement comes, don't be silent. When discouragement comes, what do you got to do? Lift your voice. As God was with, God was with Jesus. Come on. Why? Because you're hearing what God says. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you'll do what? Meditate in it day and night that you will observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Verse 9. Have I not commanded you? So third time, and this is a command, be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid, nor dismayed. Why? Why not? Why not be afraid? Why not be dismayed? Because the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Now, if you don't know that, then Satan will take advantage of your life. Are you listening? So number four, how do we deal with this? Goliath, the discouragement pastor. For A, you don't become discouraged or dismayed. For B, no man can stand before you, stop you. Why? For C, because God will not leave you nor forsake you. 
4D, what do you do? Stay focused on God's word. Meditating on it day and night. All right, Numbers 13. Numbers 13. Say, praise the Lord, somebody. Now, you know, you could be here to hear the word preached. But if you don't receive it and apply it, then guess what? It's not, it's not going into good ground. You, you have to put it in good ground for it to work. So you got to apply this to your life. Numbers 13. Let's go over here to another example. Hallelujah. Back up to Numbers 13. Back over here to the children of Israel. While they were in the wilderness, they had come, they'd come up to the promised land, if you remember this. Number five, many times people are discouraged because of the way they look at themselves. Many times they get discouraged because of the way they look at themselves. So what's another thing we need to do, Pastor, to make sure we don't get discouraged? Not only remember the Lord's with me, but I also need to remember who I am in Christ. Numbers 13, 33, notice this. After they came back from spying out the land, they said, we saw giants in the land. Well, okay, we saw giants. God already told them they were there before they went in. Well, they, there we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak. They came from the giants, and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. Who in the world told them that? God didn't tell them that. You know, their enemies didn't even tell them that. You know who told them that? They themselves told them that because they're not seeing themselves as God sees themselves. 14.1, so all the congregation lifted up their voices and they cried and the people wept that night. Can you say discouraged? You know why they got discouraged? I'll tell you why. On your notes, number five, many times people get discouraged because guess what? Because of the way they look at themselves. 5A, not only do these grasshopper reporters discourage themselves, but they always stir up negativism in everyone who's around them. Now, I'm going to tell you, if God's ever going to call you to do anything, it's going to be in many cases, of, in, excuse me, many times of your life, he's going to call you to do things that seems impossible, that in the natural doesn't seem possible. Let me tell you, you don't want to hang around who I don't want my church filled with. I don't want negative people in my church saying, we can't do that. If you believe that, if you truly believe that, then keep your mouth shut. I'm going to pray God would do like Zacharias and shut you up so you don't discourage everybody else. Because that's not good. I said, that's not good. So notice again, not only, A, do these grasshopper reporters discourage themselves, which they're doing without realizing it, but they also do what? They stir up negativism in everyone who's around them. 5B, your perspective and opinion of yourself is the picture you paint for others. Think about that. Your perspective and opinion of yourself, how you see yourself, is the very picture that you're painting for others. It will affect others as well. You need to see yourself the way God does. 5C, notice it. This is a powerful statement. I had to post it this afternoon. Even your enemies see you as you see yourself. Think about that. If I see myself as weak, guess how the enemy sees me? But if I see myself as strong in the Lord, guess what the enemy sees? He knows it. He knows whether you know who you are or not. But when you see yourself strong in the Lord, the devil knows it. Come on, man. Paul, I know. Jesus, I know. Why? Because... Paul saw himself the way Jesus saw him. Paul saw himself, obviously, as to who he was in Christ, and the demons found out about it. So this this statement goes either way, both ways. Your enemy sees you as you see yourself. You see yourself as weak and, and defeated, that's how they see you. They'll take advantage of it. 
But you see yourself in the Lord as strong and mighty and one who conquers and overcomes because your God is with you. The devil knows you know it. 5D, you must see yourself the way God sees you if you're going to conquer and have his strength. And I will tell you what, without the feeding of the word of God in your life, of a, of a, of a church that will teach you who you are, that ain't going to happen. You're going to stay weak. Numbers 21. So now we go over, as they're out in the wilderness, because of course they couldn't enter in, they rebelled. They're out here in the wilderness, walking through the wilderness. Number, numbers 21. Go over to Numbers 21, verse 4. Notice on your notes here, number 6. When the souls of the people get discouraged, they will begin to grumble against even leadership and probably end up blaming them. So here's a sign that they clearly obviously are going the wrong direction because not only are they complaining about the fact that they are like grasshoppers in the enemy's sight, meaning what, we can't do that. Oh, how this going to happen? Well, what are they going to wind up doing? Now they're going to start winding up speaking against leadership. And blaming others. Numbers 21, verse 4. Notice this. Then they journeyed from Mount Or by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the soul of the people became what? Tell me. Tell me, please. The soul of the people became very discouraged on the way. Why? Because of the report. Because of what they said. Because of what they declared. Verse 5. But, and, they paid, and they put up with it. They listened to it. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Excuse me? Excuse me? Wow. The people did what? The people did what? They spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? Who was crying for deliverance out of the wilderness? Who was it that delivered them? Who was it that said they had a promised land to go into? See, they took back their lordship. They took back their lordship. They wouldn't submit to God's way. They wouldn't submit to God's way. Well, therefore, God couldn't help them because guess what God can't do? He can't change. He's the Lord who changes not, Malachi says. So clearly it says here in verse 5, the people spoke against God and Moses. Why have you brought, it out, brought us out of here to die? For there is no food and no water, and our soul loathes this worthless bread. Excuse me, God been feeding them, taking care of them miraculously all the way through everything that they've been through at this point. And they're complaining, saying there's no food, no provision, no water. By the way, this bread they're complaining about, the Bible literally calls it a sugary wafer-like substance. You know how I could compare that? Krispy Kreme. I'll live on Krispy Kreme. No problem, Father. I'll live on it every, if I could. Are you kidding me? I'd live on it every day. But you know why you complain? I'll tell you why you complain. Because you took back your lordship and you didn't want to obviously receive what God said and you listened to the wrong people. Six, so the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people. He what? Sent fiery serpents and they did what? They bit the people and many of the people of Israel died. Well, God sure mean. No, this is called judgment under the Old Testament. Their hearts are not, you're under grace. Their hearts are not right. God has to stop this. If God doesn't stop this, there's never going to be a second generation of people to go into the promised land. You listening? He had to do this all throughout the Old Testament with the initial first generation because without doing so, there had never been a remnant of people to trust God and go into the promised land. This is judgment. This isn't murder. This isn't God killing. This is God bringing judgment. But even in the midst of judgment, with repentance, he'll bring deliverance. 
7, therefore the people came to Moses and said, we've sinned for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he will take away the serpents for us. So Moses prayed for the people. The Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent. This represents Jesus, by the way. Uh, not the fiery serpent, but what's going up on a pole because Jesus would bear the disease and sickness of the people. Take this fiery serpent, set it up on a pole. It shall be that everyone who is bitten when he looks at it shall live. Moses made a bronze serpent, put it on a pole. Uh, So it was if a serpent had bitten anyone, he who looked at the bronze serpent lived. He turned away from his rebellion. He looked to what God told him to look to. And the serpent is not a type and shadow of Jesus. It's a type of sickness and disease that Jesus bore on the cross. And when you look to him, guess what? He delivers you. He frees you. All right, number six, when the souls of the people get discouraged, they'll begin to do what? Grumble against leadership and even probably end up blaming them. 6A, you must learn to encourage yourself in the Lord. 6B, you must fight to keep your joy at all costs. 6C, there is no good reason to get on the wrong side of God just because things aren't going your way. Just because you're not getting things the way you want them doesn't mean you need to all of a sudden get on the wrong side of God. 1 Samuel 30. In closing, 1 Samuel 30. Are are you being helped tonight? See, these are the things of why you got to be here to get the seed of God's word implanted in you. If you can't make a service, I understand. There are going to be times that you won't be able to make a service. But you are one blessed generation because you can go back and listen to the teachings anytime. And I will promise you God has something to say to you to plant something in your heart to prepare you for the day ahead. Amen? 1 Samuel chapter 30. Why is being in God's house so significant? Why can't I just sit home all the time, do never come to church, just sit in my PJs and listen? Because you won't get it all. I'll guarantee you, this is an environment where you're here to do one thing. You're not here to look at your cell phone. Now, if you are, you're, you're hurting yourself. You're not, you don't have a television in the background to look to or listen to or things that distract you. Let you allow stuff. But I'll guarantee you that's not what this environment's about. Seven, David learned something significant. He learned to encourage himself in the Lord no matter what was happening in his life, no matter how hard it was. Now, we see a combination of events here where David, having gone to war, has another area of a group of people come to where their uh, wives and all their children were and take them captive and take all that they had and take them away. And David comes back from this battle that they won and finds them all gone. So not only does David now face an issue with recognizing the significance of all those people gone, but in the midst of all those people gone, guess what his warriors do? They turn on him. You already got one bad situation. You come home and all your family's been taken captive. And then all of a sudden these great warriors who were just winning a battle with you turn on you as well. And he now faces a betrayal right in the midst of it. And so David got discouraged and sat down and quit and gave up on God. No, he didn't. Nor do we have to. I said, nor do we have to. 1 Samuel 30 verse 1, it happened when David, notice, and his men, mighty men, came to Ziglag. On the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag, attacked Ziklag, and they burned it with fire. And they had taken captive the women, notice, and those who were there, from small to great. They did not kill anyone, but they carried them all away, and they went their way. So David and his men came back to the city. And there it was burned with fire, and their wives and their sons and their daughters had been taken captive. Think about it. 
They had obeyed God. He had gone and fought a battle. God told them to go fight. And this enemy sneaks in behind and now takes all of his family and destroys the city in which they were staying and takes all of his family captive. You already got enough right there to discourage you. Verse 4, but David and the people who were there with him, of course, lifted their voices and wept, lifted their voices to God till they had no more power to weep. But, and notice even David's two wives, Ahinoam and the Jezreelitess and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite, had been taken captive. Six, David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him. Excuse me. Excuse me. Bad enough, your family's gone been taken captive all that you had was gone taken captive but now these mighty men want to kill David like David's the problem David was greatly distressed because now the people spoke of spoke of stoning him say betrayal even his men are wanting to betray him because the soul of all the people was grieved every man for his sons and daughters but underline it David strengthened himself how in the Lord God in the Lord, his God. You have to learn to strengthen yourself in the Lord, your God. You have to. You can't rely, excuse me, you can't rely on your pastor all the time to call him and get him on the phone. You're to come to church, be built up in the things of God so you know what to do when those things come. I didn't say you can't ever reach out to somebody if you can, but if you go rely on other people and not grow up in your, in your own knowledge and understanding of the word, you're going to still get taken advantage of because you're not going to always be able to get to somebody. Again, seven, David learned to encourage himself in the Lord no matter what was happening. He encouraged himself in what? Underline it, the Lord. Not in himself, in the Lord. Notice, no matter what was happening in his life, no matter how hard it was, 7a, encourage yourself in the Lord. There are many times when no one is close enough to you to pat you on the back. 7b, put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Circle, highlight, and underline. Put on, when heaviness, heaviness tried to come on David, but how many know David was a great praiser? David knew what to do. I'm going to praise my God. Why? I'm going to tell you in a minute. 7C, always run to the word for help and inner strength. Always run to the word for help and inner strength. Run to the word and start praising your God. Why is praise so significant in encouraging yourself in the Lord? In the Lord. In the Lord. How do I encourage myself in the Lord, Pastor? Well, obviously he is the word. If you go to the word, you can get encouraged through the word. But why praise? Why is praise so important? Because if you really are praising God, what are you doing when you're praising God? <clears throat> you are focusing on him. Give me another word. If I'm, if I'm truly praising God, what am I doing? What am I doing? I'm honoring. I am speaking to him. What else am I doing? I'm magnifying my God. When you praise him, guess what you're doing? You're magnifying your God. Because if you're praising God, you're talking about how big your God is. You're talking about how mighty your God is. You're talking about how great your God is. When you magnify your God, all of a sudden your circumstances, guess what? They start becoming smaller and smaller. And your God becomes bigger and bigger. And discouragement goes out the window. When the opposite is true, discouragement sets in. And all of a sudden the problem becomes bigger than your God. And when the problem becomes bigger than your God, it's because you've not been magnifying your God. But when you praise and honor and magnify your God and he becomes bigger, discouragement leaves because your problem becomes smaller. And now your God gets bigger in your eyes and therefore you obviously are now encouraged in the Lord. Amen? 
So real quick, I just want to take a moment to just review with you the key things to do on this teaching about how to encourage yourself in the, in, in the context of the things of God when discouragement tries to come. Four, God's word to Joshua, don't get discouraged or dismayed. No man can stand before you. God will not leave you nor forsake you. Stay focused on his word. Stay focused on what he said about you, who you are, what you obviously know in relationship to what we read in the context of those verses to Joshua, that you know God is with me. As he was with Jesus on the earth, so he is with me. He won't leave me nor forsake me. Declare it. Decree it. On number five, you got to realize very carefully that you got to be careful who you hang around. See, five is protect yourself against those who are always giving a bad report. You listening? You, you're not going to beat. You're not going to beat discouragement if you hang around the wrong people. If you hang around the wrong people who are always magnifying the problem, always exalting the problem, guess what? You're going to wind up right there with them. Because guess what? You're hearing all the time the problem. And so you got to understand you can't magnify the problem because of it. Now, it doesn't mean you don't ever talk about, you know, even in a relationship with a husband or a wife or even in church situations. There's things you got to address or deal with and talk about at times and say, okay, we're going to seek the Lord about this. What are we going to do? What are we going to deal with? How are we going to address this? How are we going to overcome this? But we obviously need to talk about some of these things and then take it before the Lord. But don't magnify the problem. Were the giants there? Yes. It's okay to come back and say, you know, God told us to be giants there. And guess what? They're there. But you know what we don't do? Don't magnify the giant. Magnify the God above, Magnify your God above the giant. Amen. So understand clearly, you got to be careful who you listen to because the wrong people are going to cause you to get discouraged. Number six, you also got to learn to do what? You got to learn to recognize the importance of not speaking against leadership or God himself. God's not the problem. Leadership's not the problem. Amen. Listen, God's not the problem. Leadership's not the problem. If I've ever failed in my life, it's not because of leadership. It's because of my lack to honor the word that I've been given by my leadership. Or, or honor the word I've, been, I've received from God. Because God is not the problem, nor is leadership the problem. He's the solution. He's the answer. And then number seven, key factor, last one point, you got to do what? You got to learn to encourage yourself in the Lord. And to encourage yourself in the Lord means you do what? You got to praise God. You got you to start praising God. You got to magnify your God. Because if you'll magnify your God above your circumstances, I'll guarantee you what? Discouragement is going to have a hard time hanging around. We pray that you are blessed by the message Pastor Baker shared with you today. For more spiritual resources that can help you in your walk with God, or to invite Pastor Baker as a guest speaker, just go to our website at cffchurch.com. You will find additional teachings by video, audio, and printed resources that will be a blessing to you. May God's very best be yours.